Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's topic is censorship. Now, we're in a time when libraries are becoming extinct. We walk into a library. There are many options. There are sections of the library where you can uh, pick up books, take out loans. You can do a lot of different things based on choice. In the past, censorship has been driven through newsprint. Anything that was written, anything that was produced in physical print. But although censorship existed, through popular magazines or popular newspapers, we still had the option when we went to a newsstand to select in or select out of that censorship. Today, with digital media, you would think that with information overload, that we have the same choices or the same controls. Now, if you're consciously not thinking or looking looking at censorship, you really don't have the same control. You don't have the same uh, choice and freedoms in what you read and what you see. And I'm going to explain to you why. So the other day, I went into Facebook, and I was trying to create a web page that wasn't really about me, but about my show. And in doing so, I filled out the application, put in, you know, all the necessary uh, 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 details for the show, And I got a notice from Facebook that my account was then locked out and I wasn't allowed to do it because I didn't identify myself as truly as myself. Now, I found that very surprising because years ago, when you open up a Facebook account, it typically took your name and an email address. Well, that's changed now because Facebook is now censoring how do you open an account with them, right? And what's what's the message that that you are offering through an account? And so they have to pre-screen now and they have to decide whether or not they will host your uh, body of information depending on what criteria they have um, that they're working with as an, as an organization. Now, this I found to be very surprising. Now, we know Facebook has gone through a lot in terms of uh, the accusation and the tie with the uh, political elections in the past with the presidential elections and the influence of, 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 of China's influence and, and Russia's influence with uh, the format itself, and so they've put in, they've put criteria in place to um, make sure that this doesn't happen again. But in doing so, they've created some constraints that make it more difficult for you to express your ideas, for you to get the kind of information that you want freely, right? And so, I'm going to be referencing two major texts today. One comes from the Columbia uh, Columbia Journalism uh, Review uh, by uh, Philip Bennett and Moses Nyan Bennett. The other one comes from PBS.org uh, uh, with the title uh, entitled Censorship by Eugene O'Neill. Another one comes from Entrepreneur.com, and this uh, is entitled uh, Google Reportedly Working on Censored Search for China by Matthew hum- Humphreys. 
The biggest question here is when we get information through the Internet, because we're not going to the library anymore. Our library is the Internet. It's a body of research and articles and information that's available through a search engine, largely through Google. This is our standard library today. This is what we mostly depend on for getting a body of knowledge or, or, or textual information to support uh, something that we're studying. My concern here, or our concern should be, who's controlling the narratives? So if we're not walking in a library and we don't have free reign and free choice on what we select and what we pick up to research and, and uh, um, navigate through, who's doing that for us through these search engines? We know that search engines do not exist in isolation of us. Search engines have become so complicated and have evolved so much to the point that when you log into a search engine, it starts to tailor what you're looking at. And so as it profiles you and it starts to create um, ideas and or, or, or collect information in terms of what you shop for, uh, what you like reading and what your interests are, they start to create a profile. And this profile, when you go into the search engine, every time that you, you enter uh, some sort of topic of search, you'll see that the advertisements start to address your interests. They're consistently bombarding you with things that they feel that you're interested in, right, based on this profile. Your search also will suggest and keep you in alignment with this profile they have for you, right? The problem with this is that this, this begins to hinder the freedom of information because now you're not going into an open platform. You're going into a platform that's been narrowed and, and, and placed in a box, and so now you're looking at a situation where when you go into a search, you're not going into an open search, you're going into a closed search based on a, a set of criteria or profiles that been, have been identified for you. And so now when you, if you go in, and, and you can tell the difference because if you go into the internet and you go in incognito, are you going through another search engine that's not familiar with you? Are you going where you don't log into a search engine? You'll notice that when you, you put in a search for anything that you're looking for, it comes back with different information. The information is not the same. All of a sudden you get neutral information as the, as the search engine is trying to detect what you're looking for and trying to profile what your interest is, right? And so that's when you begin to go into an open library, when, it's, when it can't identify you and there's no pro, a profile of readily, readily available. The other thing that happens with search engines in the internet that people are not aware of, there's a regional distribution of information. So depending on your zip code and where you live in a country, you get, you're, you're targeted for certain information and certain search are, um, finds will come back to you. So I can search for, I mean, as simple as searching for a movie theater, right? Based on zip code, you're going to get a list of movie theaters based on the zip code and nearest to you. That, that works. However, if you try to engage Netflix and you go through Netflix without it having your location, you're going to find that one, Netflix may not allow you to engage it because it needs your location in order to develop an algorithm of what they should be sharing with you. And then if you're able to go into a Netflix account in, in say, Atlanta, Georgia, you'll notice that what they're referring and what they're referencing in terms of uh, movies of interest will be very different from what they're offering in New York City. And so... Again, in terms of a freedom of information, there's, there's a marketing and, and information that's being tailored to where you are regionally and then more specifically being tailored to your profile. 
of how you surf the internet, right? In missing libraries, in the missing libraries and using the internet, with the other thing that the internet is 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 uh, causing um, struggle forces is, is that there's no menu of options when you go to the internet. So the body of information that you come to the table with to engage the internet is the body of information the internet will give back to you. And so it's not like walking into a library where you have multiple choices, but you can see the choices in the library. You can see options. And so if you want to extend your, your, um, your area of uh, understanding or you want to, you want to you know, go beyond your boundaries in terms of learning, then you have the option because you can see there are other areas that you don't know about because it's readily available and it's visible. With things not being so transparent on the Internet, it's a little harder to do that because you come to the table with a body of information that you then have to, you have to, to use to engage the platform to give you a body of information back. But that's hard to do sometimes when you don't have the information from the beginning. We're in a new age now. And in this new age, the internet has become the greatest disruptor of news media. People like you and me are becoming the authors of communication and information. It has become increasingly difficult to monitor all of this information through vehicles like the internet. But countries are doing it. Countries are trying to figure out how do we take this large body of information, control the narrative, censor it, so that we can push the, the agendas that we want as a country, right? And so how countries are doing this, and, and this is this, you know, some countries are buying, so outright, so if there's a, a company, a media conglomerate like um, Fox News, for instance, but this is not the case, let's say it was a Fox News in, in China, and Fox News was coming up with an alternative viewpoint of new information that people were interested in. And it was a growing body of information that was not controlled by the government, but it was a narrative of the people. So what the government would do in order to control that narrative and censor it, they would buy Fox News. And so they would change the head of Fox News and they would uh, uh, inform the journalists of the agenda of the government. And then Fox News would, would begin to articulate what the agenda was for the government of China in that case. Another way that censorship exists today in the new uh, era of um, digital media is licensing. So everybody can't get a license, right? And licenses is about, can I afford it? You know, do I have the resources to get this? And how long does a license exist for? So as long as your, your, your media within a country, whether it's this country or another country, is in alignment with the goals of the government, then you'll get a license. If this is not the case then you'll lose your license. And so then that's another area of where sense, sense, uh, censoring uh, exists in digital media. Of course, there are heavy fines. You know, uh, you say something, uh, I remember growing up that if you cursed on the radio, that was a fine. You know, not so much uh, the case today, but those fines still exist for going out of alignment with the, uh, not being in alignment with the government initiatives, right? There's an outright shutdown of a website uh, whether it be your Facebook account, and like in my case, or, or Twitter. Um, and I think I got to work where like wait for like 30 days and then restart this entire process all over again. Okay, cool. Um, and then there's the reshaping of the narratives by governments, right? And so governments have been instrumental in 
influencing chat rooms and blogs and discussing discussion groups uh, in disguise to influence um, the direction of the conversations that people are having, right? And also to influence elections, which is most notable. Um, they do this all the time uh, just to create alignment and they may want to disparage another candidate. They might, might want to build the, uh, the image of, of a candidate that they, that's preferred. And so all of these are being flu- influenced and that can be in control by the people. This is another example of censorship. In this new age, there are four major areas of how information is coming across to people. One area is called the blogger. The blogger is a person who regularly writes materials for a blog. It's a website or web page written in an informal or conversational style. This is done by an individual. A netizens is a user of the internet, especially a habitual or avid one. So this is somebody who's constantly searching the internet and really knows how to manipulate and influence it to produce a, 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 or develop a body of information to be shared with others. A citizen journalist is someone who's collecting, disseminating, and, analyze, and analyzing news and information for the general public, especially by means of the internet. And the last one, of course, is the podcaster, of which I'm engaged with, is using the internet to make digital recordings. This is the new age library. This is the digital media that is now informing our communities today are what's important. In this informational process, value it's value-based. And when I say value-based, that doesn't speak to being negative or positive. It's value-based in that there are 3 billion internet users in the world. 22% of them come from China and 10% from the U.S. China and the U.S. are the strongest in creating firewalls to block unacceptable content. There are 2 million censor police monitoring the internet and our activities, although we don't feel supervised. What they're looking for is how we messaging information. Of course, the most important, we got to protect our national security. The next one is we have to censor the kind of material that we're sharing to certain audiences, right? And so there was a time in early, the early internet stage when there, Bill Clinton was on investigation, there, there was the Monica Lewinsky, right? Or the, uh, uh, before that, the internet with Jeffrey Dahmer. And those two stories, we're not gonna, they're not going to release on mainstream media the details of the incidents concerning those individuals. And so that's where censorship will happen and, and that's where it's value-based, right? And so the government is one, protecting national security and that we're not gonna do anything to harm the safety of our people and our communities here. And number two, we're not going to expose things that are going to um, dis- uh, disparage and um, create an incredible image of our country, right? I don't know if that's true today, but that was true then. What does morality play in this? 
sort of morality in censorship comes from, so th there's a challenge to morality here, and it came from early on from uh, O'Neill's Desire Under the Elms. And this was a play that spoke to the intimate relationship between a young man and his stepmother. Um, and this was felt to be inappropriate. And so this play was banned because this wasn't the cultural um, essence that we wanted to communicate to the people of North America. Um, Ladies of the Evening in the Harem at one time, this was a, a play that was banned. And Iceman Cometh, other examples of censorship. Not so much today, but that's what it was. Cultural influences plays a major impact on, um, in, uh, on um, censorship. It's a greatest struggle for parents now that we have cell phones and we have all of these mediums that allow so much information to come through our doors, slip under you know, our doors, through our windows, and, and through our headphones, and, and through TV, and, and signage, and marketing. And it's like overwhelming for parents to control that body of information. Overwhelming. And the criteria, it's the, the government has gotten less strict on the criteria of when, sh because I, there was a time when there were certain shows showed on television at a certain time before, uh, it was like before like nine o'clock, you, you could see a certain, you know, show that was TV 14 or something like that, but it was a show, shows that were uh, safe for families and children. And then after nine o'clock, when, you know, there was a, a cultural tradition or, 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 or habits that were similar all over the country where kids went to bed at a certain time, then it the, the, the programming on television changed and it became something a little more sketchy. And so parents have a, a, a struggle there in terms of balancing what's going on in, on television, in their homes, which, which were streaming, and with the digital media, it's more difficult to do that. Where's the census in that? How do we control... How do we troll? How do we control this, this? How do we censor all of the amount of information that are coming in to align with home values and schooling? When we're not even sure through the programming what's going to come across, because you know you can watch a TV show and not realize that the ratings have shifted, and then it's too late because that body of information has come across the television screen, and your children have absorbed that. And so that's a, a big challenge for us today. Um, also, the countries, countries are just trying to establish or reestablish the definitions for what is good and bad. What's, what, what does it mean to be a good citizen or a good person versus being a bad person? That's a little unclear today. It's a little vague in terms of how do we format that. And it's, it's, it's even more difficult in terms of trying to design that profile and then sell that to the masses. And so we're in a place of, through digital media, we have to begin to redefine What's important and what are our values? Because values are changing every day through digital media. And not only that, but with digital media, we find that there are many illusions that we see because when, when you look at an Instagram photo and you look at a Facebook and you look at it at that moment, it's perfect. And there's so many filters that gives us, you know, a face without blemish and can slim us down and stars and all kinds of features that give us that perfection. But what it doesn't give us is the process. It doesn't give us the connection. It doesn't give us the, the, the value and, and, and the essence of who that individual or that situation is, right? 
And so where are we influencing our culture through digital media? And, and where does that censorship play out? What does citizenship look like in our country? How does that play out through digital media? And how do we push that? At the same time, all of this, we have to pr protect the person's privacy in all of this. And so we have to allow people to have choices and values and base uh, and values and, and their religious identities and, and uh, um, so all just their identities in general. And but how do we play? How do we mix these together in a way that we protect the person's privacy uh, from things like violent crimes or just uh, uh, just just wanting to be unidentifiable, right? Um, in this process of trying to control the government's reach to try to control and censor digital media, it's gotten to a point where maybe we're trying to hold on too tight. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a tension here between the freedom of information and the freedom of publishing information and the freedom of ideas and the government's attempt to keep the narrative in alignment with our purpose. And we already talked about, you know, uh, government buyouts. We talked about, you know, uh, you know, local news, you know, local news being influenced. Uh, uh, you know, we don't know where, you know, like Trump talked about fake news, right? Uh, he may, he, he may not, he may be on to something there when we talk about fake news, right? We're talking about local news. Can we get the, are we getting the information we need to move the agenda in our households and our families and our work environment? Or are we being distracted? When we look at networks, what is the purpose of a network? What's the value of that network? What are they trying to share and trying to build with us? Or is it just random? You know, what are we coming away when we spend our time in front of networks and digital media? What's the purpose? Where is this going? How is this yellow journalism impacting the media? What's real and what's not real? How do we decipher? How do we teach our children or teach each other how to decipher information? How do we select through and craft to uh, uh, create a picture of how to uh, uh, be um, conscious about how we sift through information? How we engage what we want? How do we look for alternative views? How do we look for different narratives? Where does that play its part in all of this? Where are we in this information? How do we belong in this process? How was this communication strategic for me, for you? Is it your narrative or are you on the receiving end of it? We see the explicit biases in the media. We see cultural conversations. We see implicit bias. Is your voice available and being heard in digital media? Or are you just receiving it as a passive viewer? How are you actively engaged and where are you going to influence it? How do you change the narrative? When you search the internet, how are you getting information that is neutral, unbiased, and based on a new user? not based on a profile that you think I have. I can't stand it when I go to Netflix 
and it says, we've selected this film for you. It's 98%. We, th we believe that it's 98% in alignment with what you like to see. And then I go watch the movie for five minutes and I say, this is not in alignment. What is your algorithm for defining me? Are the algorithms correct in terms of how we're defined? Is it leading us in the right way? What do I learn from this? What are our learnings? When using a digital library, you have to first recognize that it is profiling you. You have to recognize that it's collecting data on your usage and it's putting together a collection of information for you to look at. That doesn't become, that takes away your freedom and begins to narrow your search and your perspective on many ideas. When you use the internet, it has to be intentional. You have to move with purpose to find information, not based on what you want to hear, what they want to tell you. So when you use it, I suggest you either adjust the settings to Google so that it doesn't track you. You go in incognito mode, use a different search engine so that you get a body of information that may be foreign to you, but that's going to elevate your thinking and your knowledge base. So you have to control the entry to the internet. It doesn't control you. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.